This is Solid Foundation Ministries with Dr. Pierre Couvert, building solid foundations through sound Bible teaching. Welcome back to Solid Foundation Ministries. Today I want to start a series on making true disciples. We will be looking at some very basic issues, issues that most of you already understand. My purpose is to get you thinking about what it takes to make a disciple out of someone. We're going to start by taking a look at salvation. I want us to see what must be communicated to the lost if we want to bring them to Christ. Romans chapter 10 verses 8 through 17, which is a rather long passage, uh, gives us the process of salvation. It actually gives it in reverse order, but it's there and we need to take a look at it and understand it. It starts out by saying, But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth, and in thy heart. That is, the word of faith, which we preach, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. To start out with, there must be a belief in the heart. The word of faith must be preached if we're going to have that kind of faith. One must believe in their heart that God has raised the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. If they don't believe that, they're not ready for salvation yet. And by the way, this is not just a head knowledge. It's not intellectual assent. It's not saying, oh yeah, I know that's a historical fact. It's believing in your heart. It's to the point where it is is something that's going to change your life. The next thing it says we must do is confess with our mouth. There's no such thing as a silent disciple. If you're truly a disciple of Jesus Christ, it's going to be evident and you're going to speak out about it. There must be a confession of Christ's lordship. Now, folks, that confession implies a submission to that lordship. Someone who says, I believe in Jesus Christ, and who is not willing to submit to his lordship is is not believing the right things. I would say they have a false faith. Then it says, call upon his name. The Bible tells us that there's no other name given among heaven by, uh, whereby we must be, must be saved. And when we get that in context, we see that name is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. There must be a calling from the heart. Our heart must reach out to him. And folks, it's not necessarily something that comes out verbally. It could be, and it's not talking about a prayer. It's talking about acknowledging who he is, acknowledging that he is Lord, that he is God, that he is Savior, and all the other things about Jesus Christ that we need for salvation. 
there may also be a verbal calling. It's not something that we can't do, but it's not something that's necessary either. Uh, we are not calling on the Lord Jesus Christ because we repeat the sinner's prayer or something like that. It's an acknowledging of Christ's person and lordship. Next we see in this passage of scripture the progression of salvation. Now it's in reverse order because it starts out uh, that about what they have to do before they can call. Before they can call upon the Lord Jesus Christ, they first must believe who he is. Before they can believe who he is, they must hear or they can't believe. Uh, there must be a preacher before they can hear. Now that doesn't mean a preacher standing up in a pulpit. That could be you witnessing to a, a lost person and telling them who Jesus Christ is. The preacher must be sent. That's the job of the church is to send out preachers with the gospel to the lost world. So they must be sent. And the preacher must go with that word of faith that we read about in the beginning of this passage of scripture. So there's a process. We have to send people out with the word of God to tell the lost people who Jesus Christ is and what he's done and why they need salvation and get them to a position where they can believe and call upon his name. That's the process of salvation. Anything less than that doesn't work. Just telling somebody Jesus loves you, so believe on him and you'll go to heaven is not going to cut it, folks. I'm sorry. It's more than that. Now, some people do get saved that way because somewhere in their lives, uh, this other information has been communicated to them. But so many people uh, make a profession of salvation and you can't find them three or four weeks later. Why? because it wasn't real. They didn't really believe on the Lord Jesus Christ in their heart. They made a mental confession that said, oh yeah, I believe, but they didn't believe in their hearts. And it's important we get them to that point of believing in their hearts. Anything less will result in false converts. And a false convert is hard to get a true confession out of and get truly converted later on in life because they always refer back, oh, I did that when I was whatever. We must also understand that salvation must have a proper foundation. The foundation is Christ. They must uh, see him as the creator God. In John 1, 1 through verse 3, it says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So somebody who doesn't believe that Jesus Christ is the creator is not going to have a knowledge of who he is, and how can they believe on him? He also must be seen as holy. In Psalms 99 verse 5, it says, Exalt ye the Lord our God, and worship at his footstool, for he is holy. And that's something we seem to forget about today. Holiness is not a popular doctrine to be preached. Uh, we're told to be holy as he is holy, so we don't want to talk about his holiness, because if we talk about his holiness, then we're obligated to live a holy life also, and people just don't want to do that today. I'm sorry to say, but that's the way it is. So we need to communicate the holiness of God, and you'll see why it's important in a little bit, uh, a little bit later in this message. He also must seen, be seen as righteous. 
the Lord is righteous in all his ways and holy in all his works. That's Psalms 145, verse 17. Our God never does anything that is wrong. He is absolutely righteous. Sometimes we don't understand why the things he does are right. Sometimes we don't understand them. But he is always right. And if we'll just be patient, he will show us that he is right. Now, I said just a moment ago that we need to see him as holy. And the reason we must see him as holy is so that we can see ourselves in the light of his holiness. In uh, Romans chapter 3, verses 10 and 11 says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. See, none of us are like God. None of us are holy like he is. We've all broken his law. James 2.10 says, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. So it's, it's a matter of breaking the law. It's not a matter of where you broke it. The illustration that I always use since I play stringed instruments is if you take a guitar string and you break it, if you break it at the, at the bridge, it's broken. If you break it at the nut, the other end, it's broken. If you break it somewhere in the middle, it's broken. It doesn't matter where you break the guitar string, it's broken. The same is true of God's law. It doesn't matter where you break the law. You've broken his law. You stand before God uh, as guilty and a, a sinner that deserves punishment. They also need to understand that we're all under God's wrath until we come to him properly for salvation. In Romans chapter 1, uh, verse 18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. That's an important verse, but you need to read what follows, because if you read down through that, it explains the whole situation and helps you understand what he's talking about when it talks about the wrath of God being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. We'll understand why it's so important if we if we uh, uh, read the rest of the, the chapter. I'm not going to take time for that today. But God's wrath is deserved because of our sin. God is not... Uh, unjust in sending a lost sinner to hell. He has made perfect provision in Jesus Christ and no one has to go to hell. Everybody goes to hell because they have not received the Lord Jesus Christ. Then and only then, when they've seen themselves as they are unholy and God is holy, then and only then can uh, we see our need for the grace of God. We don't see the need if we think we can be good enough, if we think we can work our way to heaven, and if we do enough good things to outweigh our bad things, there's no need for salvation. We don't have to come to Christ because we can be good enough. But the fact is, we cannot, and we have to see God in his holiness. I don't know if you can really understand that, but just let me make a reference back to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah was a prophet of God, and a pretty good prophet of God, for five chapters before we get to Isaiah chapter 6. And in Isaiah chapter 6, he finally gets a full glimpse of God. He sees him on a throne high and lifted up. And what does it cause him to do? 
It causes him to say, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips and dwell amongst the people of unclean lips. I don't think he did that standing up straight in front of God and doing that. I believe he fell on his face when he did that. But he finally saw the holiness of God and it revealed to him how unholy he was. And he sought God's mercy. And that's what it takes to bring someone to Christ. They must see God in his holiness, understand that they are justly under the wrath of God. And if they don't take the proper steps, they will die that way and spend an eternity in the lake of fire in punishment. And I wouldn't want my worst enemy to go there. Well, how is this uh, brought about? What, what causes us to make the changes necessary in our lives to where we are ready for salvation? In Romans chapter 2 and verse 4, it says, Or despisest thou the richest of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering? I want you to hear this next part. Really, it's important. Knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Now, the goodness of God is his holiness. And until you understand his holiness and how good he really is, you can't see how evil you are. And it tells us that it leads us to repentance because we understand. We understand that we have broken God's law. We understand how holy and righteous he is. And we, then we'll start seeing ourselves in all our sin. We'll see the little things that don't make any difference to us now. We'll see them as being sins against God and destructive to his creation. We'll understand those things. And when that happens, it leads us to repentance. But you know, there's an old saying it says you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. So it leads somebody to repentance, but it doesn't necessarily cause them to repent. Many people, when they see their unholiness compared with God's holiness, they just reject that God exists at all. And so they don't really see themselves as sinners in his light. Or they, they uh, uh, say, well, you know, I'm not any worse than anybody else. And so if he's going to let somebody else into heaven, he'll let me into heaven because I'm a pretty good person. You see, there's no real conviction of sin there. But there's a, a vision and understanding that it's there. But there's no real conviction that works something in their heart. See, something that's necessary for true biblical repentance is a thing called godly sorrow. Listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. It says, Now I rejoice not that ye were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to, rep ye sorrowed to repentance. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. Now there's some, two types of sorrow that are mentioned here. There's godly sorrow and the sorrow of the world. What's the difference between the two? Well, the world's sorrow is when we're sorry because we got caught and we're afraid of the punishment and trying to get away from the punishment. It's a superficial sorriness. It's, oh, I'm sorry I did that. Uh, uh, don't spank me. Don't spank me. That's what the kid says when he's broken your your, your rules at home and he needs to be punished. And uh, that's the kind of sorrow it is. They're not really sorry for what they did. They're putting on a false sorrow to try and avoid punishment. On the other hand, godly sorrow is a sorrow uh, because you've offended a holy God 
and you're sorry that you did it. You're sorry for your sin. You're not sorry because you're going to get caught or get punished. You're sorry because of what you did. And that's godly sorrow. Now, the sorrow of this world works death because it's not sincere. It doesn't result in a change of life except maybe for the fear of of punishment, but it doesn't uh, result in a lasting change of life, and it it, it ends up in death. And I'm, I'm talking about spiritual death here. It can cause an earlier physical death also, but it's spiritual death. But godly sorrow, on the other hand, works or causes repentance. And that repentance is very interesting when you read what it says there. It says, for godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. So that's the kind of of repentance that Jesus was talking about when he said, except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. But I want you to notice what it says after that, because there are people out there who don't believe that once you're saved, it's a permanent deal. They believe you can lose your salvation. But what does it say? Repentance unto salvation, not to be repented of. That means that when you have that kind of sorrow and that kind of repentance, you'll never turn away from it again. It's permanent thing. Now, there are a lot of other reasons to believe in eternal security. The main one, I think, is the fact that we're kept by the power of God and not in our own power. But it's important to understand that godly sorrow, the kind of sorrow that, that brings salvation, is also a sorrow that makes it so we'll never turn our back on it again. That repentance is permanent. Now, folks, there's a a passage of Scripture that we talk a lot about in a lot of different ways that, that we're all familiar with, and it's called the parable of the sower. And what that parable is telling us is that the ground must be properly prepared before the seed is sown. It, it's in Matthew chapter 13. We'll start reading in verse 3. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some uh, seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprang up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, uh, they were scorched because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some an hundredfold, some sixtyfold, and some thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Now, folks, this passage of Scripture, uh, I think it applies to salvation, but I think you can make other applications to it. But since we're talking about salvation, that's the way we'll use it. But it, it gives us uh, four different kinds of soil. It gives us the hard packed ground, the pathway, the, the, the hard ground that the seed cannot penetrate. It gives us the stony ground where there's a little bit of dirt, just enough to cover it and it'll germinate, but it doesn't have any roots so it can't stand when the sun comes up. And then there's the ground that's full of thorns or weeds, if you will, and it just chokes it out so it never really gets to the point of bearing spiritual fruit. And then there's the good ground. And so let's look at those four things and see what Jesus says they mean. Uh, In uh, verse 19 it says, When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom, and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one, and catches away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which received the seed by the wayside. 
Now some seed is always going to fall on the wayside if you scatter seed, the way that it was done in Bible times at least. Some's always going to fall there. This ground is so hard that, that, that it can't penetrate it. And that's the way the hearts of men are to begin with. They're hard hearts. And it's hard to penetrate it with the gospel. And we're not usually willing to do the work that's necessary. And along with that hardness, there's no effort to try and understand, so they don't understand. And Satan is there to catch away the seed before it can germinate. We need to be careful when we communicate the gospel to people to make sure that it's done in such a way that that it has time to, to, to germinate, and we need to have the ground prepared or it's not going to happen. And then some falls on the stony ground. In uh, verses 20 and 21, it says, But he that received the seed in the stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and unknown, with joy receiveth it. Yet he hath not root in himself, but dureth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, by and by he is offended. Now let me tell you what that's talking about. How many people do you know of that some soul winner went out there, and I put quotations around that word soul winner, and he told them that Jesus loves you, uh, you're, we've all sinned, uh, Jesus wants to save you from that sin, and if you do, all your problems will go away. As a matter of fact, if you uh, live in this area, and you do if you're listening to this radio station, on a 321 between uh, Lenore and Hickory, there are at least two signs that say that Jesus is the answer to all your problems. Well, when you present the gospel that way to a lost person who's going through trials and tribulations and trouble, and you say, listen, come to Jesus and he'll solve all your problems, first of all, you're telling a lie. Secondly, when it doesn't happen, when his financial difficulties don't disappear all of a sudden, when his health issues are not healed immediately, when these things don't happen, when his marriage doesn't start coming together and keeps falling apart, he says, wait a minute, this doesn't work. The reason they received it with joy is because they thought, boy, all my problems are going to go away. I just say I believe in Jesus and pray this little prayer, and boy, it's going to be wonderful from there on. It's not. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that just exactly the opposite is going to happen. The Bible tells us that if we follow Jesus Christ, that we'll be hated of the world. The Bible tells us that those who will live godly shall suffer persecution. So to tell people that all their problems are going to go away is wrong. But that's the kind of people we're talking about here who, who want to get saved because they're going through some sort of, of problem in their life and they want that problem fixed. And when it doesn't get fixed, they drop by the wayside. We see so many people, they'll make a profession of faith, they'll come to church, they may even get baptized, but in a few weeks they're gone. Uh, I've seen it where uh, you see them in the grocery store or at Walmart or someplace like that and they see you and you'll see them scoot away to make sure that you don't get to them and talk to them. Now that's the stony ground. Then there's some that falls among the thorns. In verse 22 he said, he also that receives seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becometh unfruitful. They hear the word and they, they, they probably even understand it. The work starts to do a work in their heart and starts to bring conviction. But the cares of this world choke them out before the word word can produce fruit. 
Now, folks, I want you to think about this. I have somebody very dear to me who made a profession of faith, and then he married a lost girl, and he's out of church now, and he, his wife left him, and he's married to another uh, woman who happens to be in, in some cult, and that, but you talk to him, oh, I don't have time, I'm too busy putting beans on the table. That's what it's talking about. They're so concerned about about the things and the needs of this world that they forget about um, about heavenly things. They think that money, wealth, prestige, all those things can solve all their problems. Folks, let me tell you, they can't. The rich die uh, bad deaths and the poor die bad deaths, horrible deaths. So both money's not going to fix your problems. It might take care of a few of them, but it's not going to fix the ones that really matter. And then some falls on good ground. In verse uh, 23 it says, But he that received the seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, uh, which also beareth fruit, and bringeth forth some an hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. So this is the good ground. I'm going to have something to say about all of these to sum this up in just a moment. But uh, in all of the others, the ground had not been properly prepared. It wasn't ready to receive the seed. And we need to get the ground ready to receive the seed, which takes a lot of work. There are three things that were missing in the other grounds. The first, there was no understanding. The second, there was no root. And the third, there was incomplete conviction. They understood enough to know that there was something there, but said, well, I'm sorry, I don't have time for this right now. I've got to take care of my family, put beans on the table, and get my kids through college, and all this kind of stuff. And yeah, those are important things, but they're not as important as eternal things. I can tell you that for sure. The good ground had been prepared to receive the seed. It had been plowed. That means the soil had been turned over and broken up and and, and made ready to receive the, the, the seed. Uh, the rocks had been removed. That means that eternal problems became are seen more important and more pressing than worldly problems. They, a person starts to understand that. As far as this is concerned, I remember my father-in-law in France. He was quite a gardener. He had a beautiful garden, always had good vegetables and fruits and everything else, used to enjoy uh, eating the fruits of his garden. But every year he would have to plow that field again. And I'll tell you, what it grew most was rocks. They kept pulling the rocks out all the time. That has to be done. Then the weeds have to be removed. Uh, someone, again, very dear to me, and I don't want to mention any names, wants to have a flower garden, but doesn't have time to go out and pull the weeds out. My wife will go over and pull the weeds out once in a while, but she can't get over there and do that as often as it needs to be done because we've got a really big yard that takes a lot of work to take care of it. But she does she she wants the weeds removed but she doesn't care enough about the flowers to go out and do the, do what's necessary the care of for heaven has to be greater than the care for this world or they're not going to come to Christ um, the word has to be received with understanding they have to understand it it will produce fruit it will always produce fruit now it won't always produce the same amount of fruit it says some six, uh, some 100 some 60 and some 30 fold so uh, it's not always going to produce the uh, uh, the same amount of fruit in every person but there will always be fruit after all does not the bible say that if you're in christ you're a new creature 
old things are passed away, behold, all things are come, become new. Isn't that what the Bible says? Aren't we new creatures in Christ? Aren't we expected, according to Ephesians 2.10, to walk in good works and do those things that are pleasing to God after we're saved? Of course we are. But we're not all going to reach the same level in doing that. But we're all supposed to do it. To come to salvation, this is in conclusion here, one must have some understanding of spiritual things. Now, they don't have to understand everything. They can't. The, the natural man receiveth not the things of God. So they don't have to have understanding in everything, but they must have some. They must have a foundational knowledge of God, of his holiness, his righteousness, and his judgment. They un, must understand their sinfulness and its horror and consequences in society. They must see the just punishment for sin. They must understand that they do deserve the condemnation of God. Then and only then can they fully understand the good news of the gospel. Those by the wayside need the ground to be broken up before the seed can be planted. The rocky places need to have the rocks removed before it can be planted. The thorny places need to have the seeds removed before you can plant the seed. The good ground only needs the seed to be planted. When proper preparation is made, all of these different soils, all four of them, can be brought to salvation. It's harmful to try and sow seed before the ground is prepared properly. It can harden the heart of the person to the point that later on it's almost impossible to plant the seed. They're not going to come to the gospel because of whatever reason that happened back when we failed to prepare the soil and guaranteed them they were saved because they prayed a prayer. Nowhere in the Bible does it say you're saved by praying a prayer. As a matter of fact, a prayer is something we do. Therefore, it is a work. And the Bible says we're saved by grace through faith without works. You have been listening to Solid Foundation Ministries from Lenore, North Carolina. Dr. Kuvert has 35 years in the ministry as a former missionary and pastor. He is available for revivals and various conferences on missions, Bible, Baptist Heritage, and the family. To find out more, go to our website, solidfoundationministries.com, or call 828-244-6505. Remember, the Christian life is not about you. It's about God receiving the glory.